Hello, my friends. Welcome back to the podcast with me, Jonathan Puddle. This is episode 78. My apologies for missing an episode last week. I actually had a really terrible migraine for probably about 24 hours, and so I was pretty much out of commission. But no worries. We've got plenty of exciting things in the can, and I'm going to share one of those with you today. This is my interview with Christopher Hewitt. Chris is the author of one of the sort of best-selling, best-regarded Enneagram books, The Sacred Enneagram, and he has a brand new book out next week called The Enneagram of Belonging, A Compassionate Journey of Self-Acceptance. Now, I was first introduced to Chris's work, as perhaps some of you were, through the Sleeping at Last podcast, the guy that uh, Ryan keeps turning to is Chris Hewitt's, and so... Uh, I really got was excited to get to talk to Chris and to dig deep into some of the philosophical issues surrounding the Enneagram, why people misapply it, and uh, what turns off some people from the Enneagram and what we can do about that, and uh, and then to, to really kind of uncover some of his new language and the new lens that he's providing. So this is not strictly a primer on the Enneagram, it's uh, more of a deep dive, I suppose, but uh, it's it's really wonderful, and it pairs well with my interview with Jerome Libba on the psychology of Jesus. Uh, if you listen to that one, then this will be a, a good point for you to go deeper. So check this out. hope you enjoy it, and there's links, of course, in the show notes to grab uh, Chris's book and learn more about his work elsewhere. So I'm 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 just I'm honored to get to talk to you, man. I'm 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 pumped. I've been a fan for for a couple of years, and I just love everything you're doing. I love your writing. I love your tone. I love what you carry. Um, yeah, I'm honored to to sit here on the other side of this connection. Yes, appreciate you including me. Thanks so much. Definitely. So there's a sentence like right into the, early into this new book that I really enjoyed. The Enneagram's nine types offer us roadmaps detailing how we got lost or disconnected from our soul's purpose for being. Uh, I am a big fan of everything to do with the Enneagram, but I keep bumping into people who, for various different reasons that, that maybe we'll unpack, there's some kind of animosity or a closed-offness or a skepticism. And and every time I say, oh, well, I'm so sorry, that's, that's cool. Uh, for me, it's been this remarkable tool to personal transformation and uh, and really healing reconnection uh, with the core aspects of me, and for my vernacular, even I think the core aspects of God. Um, and then everyone's like, oh, oh, wow. Uh, that, maybe we can talk about that later then, because that sounds really interesting. Mm. And suddenly the conversation is open. So I, I was fascinated that you start off with that similar kind of, this this roadmap detailing how we got lost or disconnected. Uh, where did that begin for you? Hmm. Well, I, I think um, I, I think that's a journey for a lot of us. I, I think we're we're always trying to find meaning and, and purpose and and, and belonging. I, I think, you know, the work that we've done over the years with with young folks and and actually not so young folks um, would primarily sort of circle around discernment, uh, vocational discernment, or who do I partner with, or where do I move, or you know, all these major life's questions that I think a lot of folks were unprepared to sort of grapple with or, or sort of sort out. So my, my sense is we don't actually have to um, learn discernment. We have to remember that we've always sort of had what we've needed and we've always sort of known. And what I, I believe we've always known is is imprinted, let's say, into our, our soul, our essence, like I said, our, our, our 
creative purpose for being. And uh, that's that's what I think the Enneagram is is really fundamentally about is is remembering that, returning that, coming coming home to that. Mm. Uh, you wrote also uh, er- early on. There's this whole discussion around the popularization popularization of the Enneagram and some of the the benefits and and pains of that. It got me thinking, even just like would would you how I mean I'm interested to know just how would you would you agree with this kind of analysis? I've been thinking through that. The, even the the youngness of the tool, that it's more of like a, something that was discovered rather than created, like uh, a categorization that was observed in nature rather than, you know, someone developed this from nothing. Yeah. So this is this is one of the the conversations I actually love the most, and 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 on so, sort of the landscape of of where these discussions lead to because. Yes, there is, let's say, rumored evidence of, of this showing up 7,500 years ago in ancient Egypt or 4,000 years ago in prehistoric Korea or 3,000 years ago with the Pythagoreans and the Greek mathematicians. And, and one of my teachers and friends, Michael Goldberg, actually writes that this shows up in, in Homer's work, um, the Odyssey, that the, the nine stops basically that Odysseus makes from Troy back to Ithaca after the Trojan War is complete follow the energies of, of the nine types starting at point nine counterclockwise around the circle in the order. Um, now clearly we don't have proof or evidence that, that Homer was or whoever Homer was a collection of voices or an individual was working with a personality profile system called the Enneagram back then. And so my sense is, yes, this is kind of like Joseph Campbell's heroes with the hero with a thousand faces. I, it's, it's in us. It's, it's trying to find its way out of us. It, it, it echoes and reverbs through history. Now the trick is the personality aspect of it is just 49 or 50 years old, right? Mm-hmm. This, this wisdom teacher, this Bolivian man, Oscar Chasso, who just passed away actually a few weeks ago in the fifties, 1954, he, he, he kind of had this download. He kind of had this uh, experience either, Either he he visualized these things, or in some of the stories, he he went into a seven day hallucinogen hallucinogenic induced divine coma, and, and an angel came to him. Whatever it was, he he received what he 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 termed a hundred and eight enneagons. And when you stack these together, they became the the path for the clarification of human consciousness or or enlightenment. He spent fifteen years developing these, and then in nineteen sixty nine, leaked four of them. At um, this this ten month training in the deserts of Chile, there were forty mental health professionals and Jesuits there, and Claudio Naranjo, who who also recently passed away, brought those four back to Berkeley, California, and, and between 1971, 72, and 73, began to develop the enneagram of personality. So we're, we're we're fundamentally working with something that's about fifty years old that may have ancient roots as a process teaching, and yeah, I think. 50 years in, it, it is showing up everywhere. And, 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 and there are these instant experts who've come across the personality overlay and, and, and it makes sense to them intuitively. They, they can read it in themselves. They can read the energies in others. And, and, and as they've popularized this, I, I think on one hand, it's great. It's getting out further, but I also think on, on one hand, there's, there's something lost in, in how it's been sort of thinned out in these sort of mugs and memes and t-shirts cultures that I think do reduce it to simply quirks and, and, and fail to um, sort of locate the, the depth of, 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 of its possibility to lead us back to the memory of ourself or spiritual transformation. So yeah, it's a, it's an interesting time for this right now. And it's an interesting time because it's like, 
hey, we're about to, let's say, you know, we're not going to celebrate the 50th anniversary of the profile, the personality profile, but we're 50 years in. And so what's exciting is it's a young teaching, actually. There's a lot to see in there that we've yet to to sort of pull out. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Uh, what I put a question out to my Facebook people because a lot of my friends are really into it and and some are vehemently want nothing to do with the Enneagram. And I, I said, I just, I just, I think I phrased it like those of you who are not into the Enneagram, what are your reasons? And they sort of boiled down to three major categories. The first one was, I don't like when people just say, well, you know, you're a this and that means this, or I'm a this and that means you just have to deal with me. Um, and it struck me that, that that criticism I've heard made of everything, like of Myers-Briggs, of of all kinds of different personality types of disc. Well, I'm just a ENFJ and so you have to deal. Which like, isn't that like the first lesson that everybody gets taught? That's not how these tools work. Yeah, I mean, and and that's actually a great way to reject how you're being introduced to it if that's where people are, are leaving it, that, oh, it just simply boils and reduces humanity down into sort of nine buckets. It's like, of course not. Like, And, and actually, if you kick this thing around and you sort of unpack it, it actually leads to 108 fluid and dynamic renderings of, of character structure, but that's not even the point. So yeah, I, I, I would, I would agree with folks who would reject it based on it's reductionist because that's, uh, I, I think a sort of subtle act of violence against the, the beauty and the mystery of humanity. And when we do that, we're not simply minimizing and diminishing our own mystery. We're, we're, we're doing that to others. And so, yeah, it's unhelpful. So I'm down, I'm down with that critique. The next critique then is, uh, I was told that I'm one thing and one thing forever. And I didn't identify that much with what I was told I was. And either way, I don't like the idea that I'm boxed into one thing and I'm stuck. So you just mentioned fluidity. Unpack that. Well, so first of all, I I don't, I mean, I, I think what's also maybe tucked into that sort of protest is we shouldn't tell people what we think they are. I mean, this is really ours to come to terms with. And so if somebody's putting this on you, they're, they're, they're doing this wrong. Um, the other thing is I, I, I'm lazy when I say this, I'm lazy when I say we're born our type. I don't think type changes. I do think we can loosen the grasp of, of, of how type fixates and creates addictive patterns that are unhelpful. I do think we can learn to have an honest relationship with our type. And I do think we can learn to live in a sense beyond type. But you see, I, when, when I say we're born our type and, and I'm being lazy, what I actually mean is I do think that we're born to, to bring a, a healing gift into the world. We have, our souls have purpose and, and they are purposed. And, you know, between the ages of 18 months and three years old, when you start to learn to, to pretend or tell lies or mimic your environment, this is when a so-called childhood wound sets in. And this so-called childhood wound disconnects you from that essence, from that purpose. And so the inevitability is we cope with that disconnection because it's a kind of psychic pain. And in the, the coping, we develop personality to, to deal with it. It's a, a defense mechanism. So yeah, you, you don't have to be a, a type one or type two or type three for your entire life. You could actually remember what your soul's purpose was, and you could actually try to do the hard work of, of reconnecting with that. And yes, your type structure is is kind of there as scaffolding to help you remember, to help you return, to, to help you become less fixated and, and more free. So yeah, if you 
want to fixate on type, you can, and people do, they love it. But I, I also think that's missing the point. You know, one of my teachers sort of says type can be metaphored, um, similar to a, a prison cell. And she's like, I'm, I'm less interested in describing the thickness of my prison walls as I am turning these walls transparent, translucent so that my essence can shine through. Mm-hmm. Well, there's a lot of us who, who love our type so much that it's like, we're moving into that prison cell. We're decorating it. Like we're making it home. We think it's a life sentence and it, and it doesn't have to be. Mm-hmm. Um, so again, yeah, that's, I mean, that's, that's fair. And that's kind of uninteresting. I mean, at a certain point when you're, you're obsessing and, and, and loving your type, not having an honest relationship with it. And, and I'm not saying you should, should resist or reject type. Actually, we, we have to learn to, to, to hold it with, with tremendous compassion. But man, if, if you love your type, I, I think you, you've kind of maybe lost something or you've taken it a step even further from what's ultimately been lost. I think some people love their type because it's easier to love their type than to love themselves. Oh yeah, it's a it's a complete distraction from having to do that hard work of of self acceptance of, of of developing compassion of of making peace with everything and letting everything belong, the good and the bad. Mm. Easier to to fall in love with an avatar yeah. than an actual human being. Yeah. So, do you think uh, on that early childhood wound? Do you think that it sounded like what what you 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 lean more towards the idea that our soul has a kind of an imprinted essence before wounding, whereas I've heard some sort of lean towards well you know based on the traumas that you experienced and you just kind of reacted this way it's just the lessons your brain learned. Um, do you think we attract certain kinds of wounding based on a pre-imprinted? Typology, so, or what do you yeah, my sense is your 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 type is also, let's say, pre-conscious personality that's kind of hardwired, let's say, to your your neurology or your the sort of neurological grooves in your brain that sort of give you a, a bias for the basis of, of how you are going to see and perceive and process reality. In Enneagram, these are your 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 three centers of intelligence, right? Your your head or your thoughts, your heart or your feelings, or your your body or your instincts. And you know, these are in a sense sequenced, right? So I, I, I lead with my instinctive intelligence and I support that rationally with my, my thinking, but that means I also repress my, my feeling center. And when you stack these three or sequence, these three centers, you get nine unique combinations. And so you see, this is how type is actually not even about personality. It's about perception, Mm -hmm. perceiving reality. So my sense is, yes, this is part of our neurology this is prenatal this is what we get to bring into the world and, and it's not a, a curse or a disadvantage it's actually and, and and should be to our advantage um and that's where then i think whatever your so-called childhood wounds or or traumas may be they don't shape that we bring that sort of pre-conscious bias for perception into how we deal with those real wounds or perceived wounds or, or traumas mm-hmm. And that's why you can line up, you know, um, seven children who've all experienced the exact same kind of uh, abuse, let's say, between the ages of, uh, of two and four from a protective caregiver and, and get completely different personality styles. Sure. It's not causal, right? It's just what we bring to contend with the pain. Yes. Yes. Okay. Yeah, that's interesting. I had this really fascinating experience that uh, I'd be interested to share with you. Um, I was... I was going through a kind of a, a spiritual healing process with a counselor and and I recognize what I'm about to share is non-scientific and that's fine. Um, 
but I had what would essentially be sort of like a, a precognitive memory that kind of surfaced um, as somewhat of a vision, somewhat of a, of a you know projection within my mind. And it was of myself at about, let's say, three or four months old. And I'm a, I'm a baby. I'm in my crib and I could sense my mother crying in the other room. And the feeling that I had was, if only I could help her. If only I could, you know, encourage her, support her. Um, now, I, I, I identify very strongly with the type 2 traits. Um, and that as, as I was encountering this memory, you know, with, and again, obviously, whether this is a real memory that occurred in the life of Jonathan Pottle or not, I can't speculate. But I mean, I can speculate all day, but I can't, I can't confirm. E- either way, it felt really like that kind of early someone was crying. And for whatever reason, my brain gravitated towards, ah, if I could help, if I could love and care for that person, then, I mean, then maybe I would be loved or then I would also be accepted or then that person would be okay. And and as I was kind of processing that memory later with my you know my my rational brain and, and the rest of my knowledge, I was like, man, that sounds so much like the descriptions of type two kind of early formative events, whether like whether as you say whether the wound was real or whether it was perceived and, and so on. Um, but but even as I was thinking, I was like, what what would have biased my mind to that approach, even if that did happen? And and like you're saying that there's all, already that that neurological imprint that we each have uniquely based on how just how we how we develop um what 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 do you do with thoughts like that you know precognitive memories things like that in this spiritual process well my so my 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 first reach in and when when i hear these kinds of memories or or visions or impressions um or, or dreams is 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 kind of appealing to a jungian overlay that every aspect that we we imagine in these sort of these symboled impressions or or visions is really the disconnected fragments of ourself that we're we're needing to make peace with and so you know i i don't gender um protective or nurturing energies in, in a parent or a caregiver but you know the symbology of the mother has traditionally aligned with that nurturing aspect of our early holding environments. And so when you, you share something like that, it's just like, is the, 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 the crying mothers, the crying parent, a, a symbol of your own, let's say need to be nurtured where you probably do. If you're dominant in type two, nurture everyone and care for everyone better than you do yourself. And is this kind of a subconscious yearning to just learn to care for that tender part of yourself first to say yes to yourself before yes to others. And, uh, I don't know. I mean, there's, there, there might be something there to, to work with. Cause that's the, the problem for a lot of twos is, is they deny their own needs. They, they presume they'll be met by others as you actually attempt to meet ours. But of course that's not how, how relationships and, and love works. And so this leads to kind of a chronic sadness in a two and, and that sadness, I think, sometimes does show up in, 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 in dreams or, or the impressions of there's a part of yourself that, that wants to be cared for, that needs to be tended to. Yeah. Well, certainly I spent most of last year sitting on the couch, uh, meeting all these parts of myself and 
doing mm-hmm. that work and uh it's 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 a beautiful terrifying journey mm-hmm. <laughs> uh so so one of the things that you do in this in this work the enneagram of belonging is these uh, affirmation belief and confession for each type so you know i immediately jumped in for type two and wanted to uh you know see, see some of the lenses that you used um here on this this journey. And so this confession that that you've produced for type twos, I willingly release all obligations to my sense of indispensability. And I felt very <laughs> provoked. <laughs> mm. uh, totally have 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 wrestled for years with this this deep sense of like, well, if it's not me, it'll be nobody else. Like if I'm not helping Mm -hmm. these people, no one else is going to help them. If I don't pray, God won't move. If Mm -hmm. I don't stay here, who will care for them? Mm -hmm. Thankfully, I've done a lot of that work. So it's not like a, oh, now I have no identity whatsoever. But, but yeah, the sense of indispensability has been huge for me. Hmm. For for a two who hasn't done this kind of work, uh, where would you start to to unpack? How, how do we leverage? Let's say, I mean, I'd love to hear more on, on the affirmations, beliefs, and confessions for each type. But where would you start to apply this tool, this journey? Yeah. So the that sort of ABCs of 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 what you're referencing was um my attempt to kind of let's say relanguage the traditional holy ideas, right? So the Enneagram of personality is essentially made up of, of four of those 108 original Enneagons. And these four original building blocks are the, the virtues, the holy ideas, the passions and the fixations. And, um, you know, in this age of instant experts, like who, who are really good at, at, at caricaturing type, my, my concern is that maybe, we don't even have a grasp of the elements that that build out type, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, I've been trying to kind of metaphor it like this. Like, you know, 15 years ago, my wife, Felina, and I um, made pilgrimage. We walked the Camino de Santiago, right? Mm-hmm. So 800 kilometers across northern Spain. And, you know, you look for a bed at the end of every day. You you walk through these gorgeous little Basque villages in, in northern Spain. And, and in every little village, you find a bar to get breakfast or, or lunch or, or your dinner. And at every little bar, right, they always would serve this uh, Spanish tortilla, right? It's kind of a, a potato egg omelet. And it's it can be excellent um, and it can be terrible. But, man, when you have it right, it's like, man, that that was on point. There's, there's almost nothing better. So – Past year, I've been trying to actually like make the perfect Spanish tortilla at home. And what's surprising for folks in, when, when you sort of set out to do this is it's actually only made up of four ingredients, potatoes and onion, um, eggs and olive oil. And and actually, you know, when you sweat onions down, all four of these ingredients are, are fairly bland. Mm. Um, so what you 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 learn here in, in, in trying to, to make the Spanish tortilla is it's actually about understanding your ingredients um, it's actually really important in terms of how you prepare them. And, and then the techniques of, of bringing them together can really make something fabulous or something terrible. So I think the same is kind of true here with the Enneagram of personality. We have four semi-bland um, building blocks, you know, and, and I think we don't know what we're doing with them for the most part. So the holy ideas, I, I think these are the most obscure, the most misunderstood, the hardest to wrap our minds around. It, it, it's almost the 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 most undersussed, interrogated aspect of of the personality system, because when you look at type two's holy idea, right, holy will, 
holy freedom. It, it doesn't mean what it says. And so I wanted to relanguage those. And, and like you said, I, I tried to relanguage those around affirmations. What is your holy idea affirming for you? Uh, a belief, what's actually the, the correct belief that's going to actually help you unfixate from your addictions? And, and then a confession, what do you need to let go? And, and when you look at the holy ideas like that, now all of a sudden they they become alive. Now all of a sudden it's like, oh, this is what Ichaso meant when he said that these are the psychocatalyzers. Now, if this is the only aspect of the Enneagram you'd work with, it's it's enough. Um, Hamid Ali, the, the man who, who started the diamond approach, what he he calls these, these holy ideas is uh, really our unobstructed view of reality. It's seeing the world as it should be, even if it's not yet there. And, and, and so my sense is your holy ideas is, is really the, the invitation to, to reconnect with your divine mind. It is the first truth you have to tell yourself. And so for the two, yes, your, your holy freedom isn't that you're free. It's that you are not indispensable. Like you're actually free from having to be the source of meeting everyone's needs. Mm. And that's, I think, true freedom for the two, right? So that's the unobstructed view. That's where the two actually gets to learn to, to to live into the gift of their freedom that, you know, this, this, this sort of cliche need to be needed no longer is what drives and, and, and becomes a compulsive sort of push pull in your relationships that is unsatisfying and, 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 and difficult for all partners involved. Right. Yes. Categorically. So, <laughs> mm. so the, the ABC for, for type two, you've expanded that. The affirmation is I am a co-creator with love, which I also, I, that moved me so much. It anchors me in such a place, like an expansiveness, yeah. whether you're someone, you know, who describes himself as a Christian or that you're in pursuit of love or, or whatever that kind of language for you is the idea that it's already there. Mm. It's already good. And I get to participate mm. rather than have to create you know am responsible for have to create uh it's on me um yeah you're you're not the source of love and and love isn't dependent only on you and in being a co-creator with love what the two's also affirming is you simply aren't the initiator but but you can be a receptor in the exchange and that's mm -hmm. the bummer for a lot of twos like receiving can be so hard it can be so shame triggering it can cause such guilt to sort of come up in their their sort of ego structure that oh it's you're 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 a co-creator in love you you give and receive and that's actually how how love is 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 embodied and and, and gifted into the world into your relationships my wife <laughs> my wife and i are working right now on trying to create systems for me to more readily ask for help. Mm -hmm. uh, I lay in bed two nights ago with a splitting headache uh, to the point where I couldn't get out of bed to go, go and get Advil or Tylenol. But she was asleep and I didn't want to wake her up. So I like dealt with it until about six in the morning when I knew she was stirring. And I said, honey, could you please help me? Mm -hmm. <laughs> and it turns out she'd been awake half the night because I came to bed really late. When I came to bed, she wrote woke up and she was like that was ridiculous like that was that mm. was that you know that's on you that you should have asked for help eight hours before i'm like yeah i know mm. but but one of the things we, we agreed to recently was it was for her to say to me kind of at the end of every week this was the language i, I tried to come up with i think what is it husband that you have taken responsibility for that you don't need to mm that she can initiate that question of me. And then I can be like, okay, now I don't have to do all the work emotionally that she's already come in there with that. Hmm. Um, 
it's a bummer, man, for the poor too. Like that. So the bummer for the two is let, let let's let's circle around this from another another angle. You know, traditionally the passion for the two is pride, and it's like it's not that twos are arrogant or or, or prideful, but there's a kind of self abnicating and denying of your needs that sort of for the two would say I'm I am self sufficient. Like I I don't need someone else to meet my needs because like I've I've said I'm here to meet yours. And, and that's also the source of the two's pain. And, and you can see now how this holy idea actually confronts that emotional passion, that, 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 that way our heart suffers and aches or lost from disconnect. The holy idea actually brings clarity to that and shows us. Um, no, actually, asking is the most loving thing that a two can do for themselves and, and, and for, for their partner or those in their relationships. Yes. Yes, amen. I'll take a quick pause to thank my Patreon supporters. I'm so blessed to have uh, 50 different folks right now supporting me every month. Uh, they sew into this podcast, of course. This is a lot of my work right now, as well as my writing. Uh, many of you will know, of course, that I have a book coming out for shortly, You Are Enough, Learning to Love Yourself the Way God Loves You. All of that work is uh, really made possible by my Patreon supporters. So a huge shout out to everybody who gives each month and a special mention for Lisa, Alistair and Chanel who have all come on since the last time I've I've thanked everyone. So huge thanks. And again, thanks to those of you who have increased your pledges. I'm so, so humbled. Uh, we have had people drop off, uh, totally understandable because of their own financial circumstances. And, and I've had some really uh, beautifully kind messages from people who had to drop off. And I've just been really humbled by those who, who've said, hey, I anticipate some people may be dropping. And so uh, I would like to increase my pledge proactively. I do not say that to attempt to manipulate you. I am genuinely saying that to thank those people who did that. Uh, it's a blessing. And for those of you who had to drop off, please do not feel any shame or any uh, regret. I totally totally have been blessed by your support for however long you've been with me. Uh, and your encouragement is just a, a huge gift. So thank you to everybody. I, I mean this from the bottom of my heart. Thank you so much. Let's get back to the show. Uh, could you walk us through then these expanded sort of, you know, what you've grown from the holy idea, these ABCs for, for each of the types? We'll go back to type one. Sure. So I, I, I think for the type one, this this traditional holy idea that he also put out was um was holy perfection. And and that's just such unfortunate loaded language for the one who thinks that they actually have to live into the idealized notion of, of perfection. That's impossible. It's impossible for them, and that's why they the one comes to resent themselves. So I, I, I try to relanguage that like this, that for the one um, your perfection actually is rooted in your imperfections. And that's actually the affirmation. You you find completion in celebrating your imperfections. Your imperfections is, is what makes you human. It's what makes you beautiful. It's what makes you who you are. The belief here that has to, I think, be, um, you know, there's a, 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 a paradigm shift in, 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 in reassessing what our fundamental driving beliefs are. And, and I think for the one here, it's um, there's compassion in intrinsically finding the perfection within you that drives you to love. But that's again, rooted in your imperfection. And, and I, and I, and I think for ones, this is so important. Your imperfection is what makes you safe. It's what makes you beautiful. 
And so that's the confession, accepting themselves, their flawed selves, who they are as they are. And, um, and that's where the one learns to, to make peace and loosens their, their, their fixated personality system or, or personality psychic structure. That's a bummer for the one. But I, I, I think there's real freedom in the one that you're, you're, you're perfectly imperfect is essentially it. I accept what is as it is, starting with my perfectly flawed self. Very provocative for the ones in my life I know. Mm -hmm. <laughs> mm. Type three. So traditionally for the type three, this is where Ichaso just, he, he expanded the, the holy idea. It was holy hope. It was holy law. Um, it was holy harmony. And yeah, you can see um, how threes can be a source of hope. But I think this holy law piece is, is really important for threes to contend with because essentially what it's, it's getting at is, is this sense that you do not change reality. You cannot force your reality into existence that you actually have to not go with the flow, but give yourself over to love. And, and that law of love is what will lead to the, 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 the freedom for the three. So that's where we start this affirmation that you are changed, transformed, you are made complete in and by love. And for the three, I get kind of gooey because the bummer for threes is this isn't the need to succeed. These aren't the achievers. These are the people that are the most obvious about how they go about getting the love they want. And as little kids, what was that? It was swapping affirmation and, and attention um, and, and recognition for love. Because you see for the three, there's this, this deep fear that they do not have intrinsic value. So they attempt to make themselves more valuable, not to be successful, but to be lovable, mm. right? So we have to start with, oh, you're transformed, you're changed, you're, you're held in love, and, and that has to be this affirmation. I, I think the belief here is, is that there is this intrinsic value in all souls, in all existence. And, and yes, we can, we can see that for somebody else better than we can for ourselves. So when we say that this intrinsic value, dignity exists in all, we, we include ourselves in that all. And then this sort of confession is about, it's, I embrace the permanence of, 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 of a value that cannot be earned. And, and I try to say this a hundred different ways for threes. You can't earn what's always been ascribed. Like you just have to fall into the gift of who you are. That's already valuable enough. That doesn't need to do anything to earn the love that you think you, you, you need. But you see for the three, this is this is a hard work because you see for the three, um, that, that empty repressed neglected heart center is so empty and it, and it feels so hollowed out that it, it, it has a kind of voraciousness towards getting this love. And, and, and so this, the strive for earning value has never, ever been about winning or losing success or failure for the three. It's always been about love. And that's, and that's hard. It's hard for threes to, to admit that, but, um, really should 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 well such compassion up in all of us for the threes in our lives. It's definitely done that for me. I have I've I've been in ministry, I've pastored alongside many threes. Mm. And and uh I've seen such a such a hunger and desire and uh, like the eyes to see the beauty of everybody else, which is wonderful, but counterbalanced with this driven performance to earn and to be enough in themselves and and it mm -hmm. always you know it always i'm like ah oh. which is just, i guess true for all of us right like i mean we've mm -hmm. got to eat our own food we have to uh that's what jerome lebo said at the end of our interview we've got to practice eating our own food uh, mm -hmm. and and there's something there you said too that it really feels like for each of our 
whoever we are, the, the, the work on our shadow and, and coming to wholeness, it's some kind of surrender, right? Like it's some mm. kind of intentional, there's like a, there's like an intentional giving up the fight mm. to actually be with ourselves. It's mm. like, we, it's like we have it all already. Like we have what we need inside us somehow. It's like, mm. I, I, I still struggle to find the right language for it. Yeah. Yeah. There, we, we don't have to look outside of ourselves to find what's, always been true and and that's that's why like i i i i think we we, we sometimes re reframe or remind or remember that the enneagram is about remembering right it's coming back to that essence that that truest sense of self like i said earlier our souls created purpose for for being mm. so. type four so poor fours um suffer this this fear that they don't know where they're identity is is rooted and and so it's as if there's this kind of tetherless angst of 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 not belonging of not connecting of not sort of fitting in and again this is it's simply it, it's simply tied to how we want to be loved and and how we don't feel like we are being loved right so traditionally um, the holy idea for the four was um, holy origin, and, and you know this this one makes a little bit of sense. Like, no, you have a place, but that's the affirmation that you are connected, and and you're connected actually to, and you're connected in love, and, and you're held in that love. So similar to this belief for the three that there's intrinsic value in all souls, I, I think for the four, the belief has to be that there's a divine source in all souls and all life. And, and, and this source is actually that space of of origin or, or belonging. And so then the confession here for the four becomes a, a, a an admitting of your conscious compassion, um, your conscious need, your, your, your conscious realization for and of belonging. And again, similar to three, it's something you can't earn. It's something that's ascribed. It's something that is. It's something that already was and it's always been. And so that belonging, that 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 conscious that conscious compassionate belonging, that that conscious commitment to saying yes to yourself, is is I think what 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 catalyzes the four free from that fixation, that that fantasizing, that longing, that 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 dreaming. There's actually something better than what the four actually has missed that they already have. So it's such these things actually just lead they have to lead to such compassion because it's it's so sad that we in a sense do this to ourselves and we don't we don't need to. Yeah, absolutely. As I was digging into this work, uh I was reading, I don't know if you know Ondi Kolber. She's a trauma-informed therapist in uh, outside of Denver and she's got a book out right now called Try Softer and it's all about the sort of self-compassionate journey from a therapeutic framework and attachment theory and all those bits and pieces and how to hold yourself with gentleness. And it moves into self-compassionate mindfulness and all these kinds of things. And it seems there's such uh, an interplay between all of these things, but at the root of it is this like compassionate acceptance. Mm. Now for me, I would root that in the Imago Dei. For me, mm. that, that rooting is in God created humanity and and thus we have value. In, mm. Indescribable, inestimable. Where, where is that origin for you? What what are those ideas? I know you've you described your faith to me earlier as kind of Richard Rorian. Yeah, I think um I, I mean I, I, I think the purest thing that all of us if we were 
socialize and, and religious communities are, are, are part of a, a spiritual tradition or, or a faith community now would, would affirm is that may be the best metaphor we have for what we think the divine is, is love. And so I, I think that's what I, I, I try to do actually, even with these, these holy ideas, this, this notion of returning to our divine mind is rooting them in love because all of our resistances, all of our, our, our fixated psychic structures, all of these emotional passions, um, can't exist when they're held in love. They, they, they no longer have a, a defense against love. And so, I, I think you know when when we look to the sacred texts and and the sacred scriptures and 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 we see this 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 affirmation that um God is love. I, I think that's a pretty simple, pretty profound and and pretty resonant thing that we would all I think agree to. And and you see this, you see this in in the enneagram, you see this in yourself, you see this in how we make it hard for ourselves. Um, that it's actually our inability to love ourselves, And, you know, this is the truth. Like, whatever your experience or, or idea or relationship to your notion of the divine is, is I, I'm pretty sure God wants to love you more than you want to be loved. <laughs> pretty sure that most of us are harder on ourselves than, than God is. And I don't think God is as hard on you as, as, as you have been on yourself out there. But that's that's because we don't understand love. We don't know how to love ourselves, hold ourselves with compassion, accept ourselves. It's because we we project that even onto our image of the divine that this this sort of eternal compassionate presence still has this bend in us or in it to punish us mm. for simply being born the way that we were and it's mm. like I, I don't know if that's actually how this works you know so we project I think all of that dysfunction onto our, our into our spiritualities when. It's actually just learning to make peace with it. It's actually just learning to, to like, I, 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 I think I, I, I'm trying to say this in nine different ways with these holy ideas, like to surrender, to fall into, to say yes to love. Yes. Amen. I feel like some of these doctrines in within Christianity, original sin and total depravity have done more damage than we could ever come to really understand and ascribe, like the... That, that we are somehow the exact opposite of yeah. where we are. Yeah. Type five. So five's a little complicated because they're, they complicate everything with their minds. And, and when Ichaso um, named the, the five's holy idea, it was omin, omniscience. Or uh, I can't say this word. Omniscience. Holy omniscience. Like this sort of this this drive it's 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 terrible for the five but this sort of drive to know all and, and there's also this holy transparency that comes into the five's uh ego structure and i like that actually for the five because it's a kind of letting go and and, and you see this connects so well um to the five's traditional virtue which ichaso named detachment and i i i'm, I'm fine actually appealing to all the traditional language ichaso used but i actually think that he he maybe met more along the lines of non-attachment right because you can see the aloofness of uh, of someone detached in relationship but the non-attachment is, is is an affirmation i'm rooted in love and i let go of any conditions or strings um or exchanges that may come from that and so i like this holy transparency as kind of a a leading into that that notion of um 
of non non-attachment right so when we work with the fives holy idea what we're, we're essentially saying is love is is what holds everything together this is what is coherent this is the coherence of of, of the fives being of uh, of the fives living of uh, of who the five becomes the belief then is is that truth can be found in silence and 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 i like to to sort of throw this quote out there that you know the first language of the divine was silence that's where we actually learn to be and and know that we are not the divine so there's love in, in what isn't known, and, and that's really difficult for the five because the five really has this, this need to suss everything out and to, and to figure everything out and to, and to come to every conclusion and solution. And so I think the confession for fives has to be, I am rooted in mystery, and, and that mystery is actually the, the doorway, the invitation to love. And, and this, you know, you, you can see how, like, like uh, you know, I, I, I didn't make the implicit explicit but when you're kind of rounding this the circle the enneagram types and you see how these types sort of bleed into each other like a color wheel and i was trying to show a little bit of that between three and four you you start to see this between five and six because you see sixes can be such a a a source of of faith but you know faith is making an option for the absurd it's putting your hope in something that's unbelievable unrealistic and in fact i actually don't think that you have to believe the things that you put your faith in and I think the six takes that from this giving over to mystery that the five has to learn to, to live with. Well, that's a really interesting point because we I think we've married faith and belief and we've kind of said they're one and the same or it's like, you know, what do I believe? I, but it, when you lay it out that way, like you don't have to believe that's like that's the point of faith. <laughs> if, yeah, I, exactly. if I believed this, it yeah. <laughs> requires no faith from me. Yeah. How did we get so off on that? <laughs> Well, because, you know, like I, I know everybody sort of overplays this, but it's like you've heard this a hundred different times in a hundred different ways that um, doubt is not the opposite of faith. Certainty is the opposite of faith. But you see, I, I think we, we prefer to sort of make doubt the counterpoint. And, and so then we double down on certainty and all the while faith is actually lost. So <laughs> jokes on us. <laughs> Type seven. Well, type six, we I I, I don't want to yeah, yeah, I, right. I don't want to skip over six, but I think again six. So six and three in the enneagram are are, are considered the shock points, right? And, and these are the shock points because on our way down the two sides of the circle, when you drop below three to four, and when you drop below uh, five from six, like there, it's almost like there's so much more space in in that reach, right? Mm-hmm. You you drop from this type six kind of over anxious, sometimes irrational, second guessing, constantly and chronically doubting person into the five, a very certain level-headed cerebral person. You you drop from type three, which can kind of be image conscious and and, and pivot and um, present as needed in spaces down to four, which is I am always going to be authentic to myself, even at my own detriment, even at my own isolation, even at the point that it causes me to be abandoned. And so that space is 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 pretty wild, and and these shock points are really important. Three and six play. So six is another one of these where Ichaso had to had to kind of language this with holy faith, holy strength, right? And 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 that actually I think is is a really clear reminder for the six who who does not have the sense of of owning their courage to come back to it. So the affirmation here is you are courageous because of love and, and love is what gives you that, that strength. Love is what compels that, that faith. 
Um, and, and that's, that's the point I was trying to make earlier. It's like fear can exist in the presence of love. Right. And, and when the six gives himself over to that love, that's when they, they return to that, that holy idea for the belief here. I, I think that the six has to come back to this notion that divine love is, is grounded in, in a compassion that liberates them from all the things that, that cause and, and wind up and, and support their anxiety, their concern, their, their, their restlessness, their fear. And, and I have compassion here for the six because you see all of that concern and that fear and that anxiety and that restlessness that the sixes sort of suffer is how they, they attempt to love us. They're, they're, they're going to those places, they're threat forecasting and ten, contingency planning for us. They want to make sure that we're going to be okay. And, and they're not okay because they ingest and internalize and metabolize all that. And so um, they don't have to. And, and that has to be sort of an alter, alternate belief, a, a, a sort of reoriented perception of how they view and see the world. And of course, that confession then means they do make this abs- uh, absurd option for faith that they believe beyond belief they believe they believe in something that I, I like i said earlier that is is better than could be imagined they put their hope in in in, in something that is 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 unimaginable and that's faith and that actually brings all of us into i think a, a more I, at least i think a more Let's let's say like this: a, a faith that's that's framed and rooted in humility as the doorway they the, the doorway we enter to as we approach it, so that we can be held by it. Mm. We learn that from the six. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's good. Type seven. So sevens. This is a real confusing one. Traditionally, it was holy wisdom, holy work, holy plan, and like <laughs> all, all of those things mean something different, and they say something different. And, and I think for a lot of sevens, it was like, no, not interested. Like that's not me. <laughs> Doesn't and sound- that's true. And that's partly why I wanted to kind of relanguage these things. So for the seven, we know this: the present moment is the most painful. Sevens are already somewhere else or they're preoccupied. They're anticipating what's next. That's why they, they, they can kind of see around the corner. That's why they're in, in, incredible sort of forecasters. And again, you see, you see this color wheel, you see the threat forecasting into the seven forecasting the possibility that that freedoms will be diminished or limited or that whatever it is that's bringing them satisfaction and enjoying them on a moment will, will, will come to an end. And so the affirmation here is, affirming that love can only be found in the present moment that actually love is waiting for us now that this moment is the only moment that matters because the present contains every moment we have ever lived and is pregnant with the potential for every moment we may be gifted Mm. right so we affirm that that love is to be found here now in the present this this belief here has to has to sort of lead them to their the seven's need for restraint the seven's need for contentment and, and constancy and, and, and a kind of, you know, when you go to their, 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 their vir- virtue, uh, sobriety, that there's enoughness even now. And, and so constraint actually is a gift. That's what actually leads to the sevens flourishing. And, and so this belief is actually tethered to this notion that constraint is what will give you contentment, that constraint being constrained and held in love is, is what is ultimately satisfying for the seven. And then we have this confession for the seven that is an affirmation of, of really the gift of the present, the enoughness of of every moment of now that we don't have to run from now, 
that we can rest in now. And that's actually where we kind of cycle back to because in this present moment, I am loved because this present moment is loving and because love can only be found in the present. It's not a memory um, that that we can can ruminate over from the past. And it's not something that that we're hoping or or, or yearning for in the future. If we can't experience it now, we'll we'll never experience it. Amen. Hey man, type eight. Man, so type eight. So I'm I'm dominant in type eight, and um, this is uh, the the work to do these ABCs for the holy ideas really came out of some 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 profound humiliation um, in my own life a few years ago, um, probably four years ago now, where I actually was like, so if these are the psychocatalyzers, if if Ichaso is saying that all I have to do is work with these holy ideas, and that that's really that's really the only aspect of the Enneagram that I need to know. Then I was like, I wonder what that is. So I, I gave myself over to this notion of truth, holy truth. And it's like the bummer for eights is that we think we're speaking the truth in love when in fact we're not speaking the truth and there's no love in it. We, we weaponize what we perceive <laughs> to be truth and we bully people. And this is why when I introduce eights in, in Enneagram workshops, somebody comes up and says, yeah, I used to work with a really unhealthy eight. And I'm like, no, they were just an eight. You probably weren't standing up for yourself. They, <laughs> thought that they had to be truthful with you when there was no truth or love in it. So, uh, so for the eight, this affirmation is, 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 is a affirmation of self-compassion. It is, I am held in love through compassion, that, that compassionate love is what I need the most. And you see this, this takes a lot of the defenses down from the eight who, who resist this, who resist being vulnerable, right? This notion of being woundable. My, my spiritual director taught me this years ago, right? The, the English word for vulnerable comes from the Latin word for wound. And so to be woundable mm. is what we're getting at here, right? Um, there's a belief for the eight <laughs> that we actually think is true, but it's, it's a belief saying, I, I believe all truth comes from the source of love, not from my force of opinion or my sense of being truthful with you is loving, but no, it is what the source tells us that points us back to love. And so then the, the, the confession here is a, is a confession of letting go. It's a, it's a returning to vulnerability. It's surrendering. I have to surrender to love. I have to be surrendered in love. And, and the, conf- that's a, what that confession is getting at is I am not sufficient and, and and you can see how the this line that connects eight and two sort of re, reverbs fortifies resonates that but i surrender i surrender to love and in surrendering i submit and in submitting i am loved and man that's just painful that's humiliating that's that's devastating to the to the notion that the a actually is a source of strength mm. thank you for doing that work for us <laughs> <laughs> oh man uh, and we're, and we're, I know we're up against the clock, but type nine. Yeah, so poor nines. Um, what's amazing about nines is nines are, are, are really the, the archetype of all Enneagram character structures. They sit at the top of the circle, kind of like a, 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 a rising sun or a full moon, and we all kind of fall off the sides a, a little brighter and more intense up there at the top with eights and ones and, and really withdrawn and, and, and really – sort of suffering and caring and shouldering the emotional and mental weight of the whole circle down there at the bottom with the uh, the fours and fives. So for the the nine, this holy idea is returning to that source of love. It's actually learning to own that love. And so the affirmation is a simple cooperating and aligning with love that similar to the two, you're not the source of love, 
But in the sense of cooperating with love, you actually have to learn to cooperate with yourself and being loved. And, and there's a kind of minimizing of that in, in the ego structure of the nine. And so this leads to a belief that it is love that roots the nine. It is love that anchors the nine. And that actually has to lead to an awakening, a self-awareness of how I've forgotten to love myself. And this is the language that we, we sometimes, um, use for for the nine's passion sloth is a self-forgetting nope this is a waking up this is a remembering this is a leading to self-awareness self-acceptance and and compassionate belonging and so the confession here and this is really i love this because i i I put this here for the nine because the nine sits at the top of the circle and because we need to look to the nine to become it's a confession for all of us but it starts with the nine i am a source of love because and when i first love myself and uh man I, I, I name that as a confession for the nine because that seems to be so selfish for the nine to say that I love myself. I need to love myself. I first love myself. But you know this, we, we can only love somebody as much as we've loved ourselves because we can only take people as far as we've gone ourselves in our own inner journeys and in our own soul work and our own sort of spiritual spiritual practice. So this is what we get to do here is to follow the nine back to the source of love that they've always been. Mm. I'm married to a, a very dominant eight, and mm. so I can identify with a bunch of those things that you said there for yourself. But one of the, one of the things for sure that I see with the eights is the is a major capacity for growth. You know, mm. for for a, a passion for growth in themselves and, and a, a, a passion for growth in everybody else around them as well. But uh, I just I just I just feel like you have channeled that growth desire and that truth and loveness. Uh, for all of our benefit through this work, uh, the Enneagram of Belonging, a compassionate journey of self-acceptance, and through your earlier work and through all the all the stuff that you're doing, I'm just really, really thankful for the work that you've done for all the rest of us, Chris. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I appreciate you saying that. I appreciate you um, having a, a chance to have a, a conversation like this about some of these things too. So, Anything else you'd want us to know about this book? Um, I will say this. I am... Um, I, I hope this is a, a gift to the to the larger Enneagram community. I, I hope this is a um, way of serving us. And um, I, I think you'll see this depending on sort of your own work with the Enneagram. Um, this is either really a, a pushing the conversation forward by 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 kind of relanguaging these original four building blocks, these original four Enneagons, by by actually taking them inward bringing them to the streets and, and, and giving, I think guidelines and rails for embodying what, what's hidden away in them. And so on one hand, I, I do hope this is a kind of a pushing forward. And on the other hand, I, I do hope this is a kind of throwback, a remembering, a returning, like, Hey, let's actually know what it is that we're working with. Like, let's remember, like there are some very core building blocks to the personality system. And if we don't know them, right. If I was like, Hey, pop quiz, I'm going to put four, um, any grab drawings in front of you and I need you you know, to, to write the passions, the fixations, the virtues, the holy ideas around the circle. And if you couldn't, maybe this is a, a reminder that, nope, it's, it's actually important to know. Mm-hmm. It's actually important to, to, to work with the fundamentals and, and work with myself and on myself with them first. Thank you, Chris Hewitts. Make sure you guys go and check out the show notes to order a copy of his new book, The Enneagram of Belonging, A Compassionate Journey of Self-Acceptance. 
I have the advanced reader copy here on my bookshelf and it is really wonderful. The book releases next week. I've been drawing from it already in some of my writing. It's really, really good. Go check that out. If you'd like to support the show, uh, please do consider that. It would be a huge help and a blessing to me. Uh, this show is completely listener-supported, and this show is basically my full-time work. You can go to patreon.com slash jonathanpuddle. You can join up for $3 a month. You can also join up for more if you'd like to. You'll gain access to a bunch of supporter-only podcasts, other uh, secret writings, and various different things that I've shared. And ongoing, I, I peel back the curtain every little while and show what's going on behind the scenes. I let you know some of my secret upcoming guests. And, uh, and I do uh, stay in regular contact with all of my patrons. I also send out handwritten cards, which I think I'm supposed to do tomorrow. Uh, so, yes exciting times. Anyway, much love to you all. Grace and peace. I hope that you are doing well. Please let me know how you are. You'll find me on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, at Jonathan Puddle, and of course, patreon.com slash Jonathan Puddle. Much love to you guys.